Hello, Rebecca Mays here for this week's edition of Stick Together, focusing on union news and social justice issues. I want to acknowledge that this program was recorded on the stolen lands of the Kulin Nation and that their sovereignty has never been ceded. This episode of Stick Together was produced on Jarjarwarung country and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. It is brought to you on your local community radio station thanks to the Community Broadcasting Foundation. This week I spoke with Elise from the Renters and Housing Union about the work they've been doing to support tenants in the current housing crisis. We spoke about the challenges tenants face in a system skewed towards investors and the importance of building solidarity amongst members. But first, some union news. Last week, CEPU South Australia organiser Jason Laley sent out a thank you to members. He said on 12th November, South Australia was hit by a violent and powerful storm. Within 12 hours, we experienced 423,000 lightning strikes and winds up to 110 kilometres an hour. Once the storm had passed and left its damage, there were 160,000 residences without power across the state. South Australia Power Networks called on all available resources to come in and help. The damage was widespread, stretching from the Eyre Peninsula through to the Riverland. After an initial assessment, it was clear the issues were too massive for South Australia to deal with alone. The call went out across the border to our brothers and sisters in New South Wales. ETU New South Wales members from Essential Energy answered and began their trek across to assist their South Australian comrades, arriving on Monday, November 14th. Truck after truck came in and began preparations to start the rebuild of the electricity network. The bulk of the damage was in Blackwood and Upper Sturt in the Adelaide Hills. Trees were down everywhere, poles were on the ground, transformers smashed into footpaths, wires down, wrapped around trees and on top of cars. It was like a cyclone had come through. The CUPU South Australia members, along with the ETU New South Wales members, got stuck straight into it, working 12 to 14 hour days. Slowly but surely, through terrible conditions, the workers got the power back on for many residents. But then, on Saturday 19th of November, another storm rolled through. This one affected the Riverland more than anywhere else, and there was major flooding up through the Murray River region. So, the group got back into the trucks and went off up the Sturt Highway, 230 kilometres to the Riverland. With only 260 power line workers in South Australia, the task in front of them was enormous. In the Riverland, again they saw more destruction. Wires down everywhere, poles half-submerged in floodwaters, trucks getting bogged. The conditions were very trying, but as always, the proud union members worked long hours to help restore power to the community. CEPU South Australia State Councillor Nick Barrett worked for 11 days straight for up to 14 hours each day. One section of fallen poles and damaged wires stretched on for kilometres in the Adelaide Hills. 57 line workers were needed to repair power to this area, with half of those coming from New South Wales. In my 15 years as a liney, this is the most extensive damage I've ever seen, he said. Fallen trees destroyed many wires, but ageing and weak assets have also played a big part in the storm damage. It's no secret that the electricity grid poles and wires in South Australia have been neglected as part of a larger funding issue with the national electricity market that rewards companies for underspending on operations and maintenance, said CEPU South Australia State Secretary John Adley. 
and while the community was very thankful to the brave workers who worked so hard to restore their power, the crew has been operating on a skeleton staff due to staff cuts by South Australia Power Networks over the years. Without enough line workers, the community will wait longer and longer for their power to be restored after increasingly common major weather events, said John. Around 50 ETU members from New South Wales employed by Essential Energy formed the crew that helped rebuild the South Australian Electricity Network. ETU delegate Simon Davies and his Mudgee crew were in the Adelaide Hills with Nick. It was great to be able to help local communities. They were very welcoming, said Simon. We worked side by side with CEPU South Australia members who are pretty much 100% union across SAPN and the contractors. Excellent to catch up and share union spirit. These brave members showed that no matter how far away or how difficult the task, our mighty CEPU ETU members will always answer the call. We would like to thank every member who got in their vehicle and trekked across the border, every member that left the comfort of their homes, every member that left their family and friends behind to help people in the most difficult of times. Proud workers, proud members, proud unionists. Thank you to all. On December 1st, the ABC released the following report on the nursing situation in the aged care sector. Irene McKearney has been a nurse for 40 years, working almost entirely in aged care. I've got a real passion for that area, she said. Older people just deserve the best of respect and care in their vulnerable years. Ms McKearney is a registered nurse but previously worked as an enrolled nurse, a role that needs a diploma and supervision. She said both roles were vital in aged care and she was shocked to find out earlier this month that one of her former employers, Southern Cross Care, plans to make all its enrolled nurse positions in Tasmania redundant. Quite frankly, I was outraged. Enrolled nurses are licensed. They've got their experience. They've got the clinical eyes that registered nurses rely on. And we've got to stop what's going on. Southern Cross Care, which has nine homes in Tasmania, has attributed its decision to a lack of funding attached to new aged care reforms. Unions believe other providers are already starting to exploit a loophole in new reforms to cut costs and want the government to step in with legislative change. Labor made fixing aged care a key election priority. Informed by recommendations from the Royal Commission into Aged Care Quality and Safety, residential aged care homes will need to have a registered nurse on duty 24-7 by July 2023. And by October 2023, all residents will need to receive an average of 200 direct care minutes per day, including 40 minutes from a registered nurse. The remainder of the minutes are to be provided by a mix of enrolled nurses and personal care workers, but there are no specified mandated minimum minutes for each of those roles. Next we'll hear an interview I did with Elise from the Renters and Housing Union, an organisation that supports tenants to stand up for their rights in the face of systemic dehumanisation. My name's Elise. I am the media and comms officer for the Renters and Housing Union, or RAHU. We've had a pretty good year. So earlier in the year we had a member and the secretary on the 7.30 report about rental affordability. Um, yeah. That was prior to the federal election. Yeah, and uh, then you you released a report after the election. Yeah, so we do have a rental affordability report with recommendations to the government. Um, we're working on an annual report at the moment, but that's not been released yet. Rahu was founded during the pandemic, which essentially exacerbated the 
existing issues in the rental market. This report is what's happened post-lockdown and planning for the future. So we're recommending to the government that they introduce a lot more legislation for rental protections, such as rent caps, number one, putting a cap on rent so that they're tied to the median wage and tied to consumer price index so that rent increases must be calculated according to the consumer price index and media wage because at the moment there is no legislation as to how rent increases are calculated, basically. The rule is that if you're being sent a rent increase notice, the real estate or landlord has to provide you with evidence of a calculation as to how they arrived at that certain increase. However, there are no rules about what the calculations are, if that makes sense. So they can essentially just send you a bunch of numbers and percentages saying, this is how much you pay now, but there is no legislation that really protects renters as to how much the rent will increase at this point. They could just, with total impunity, increase it to whatever they want. And so rent is very unaffordable for the majority of people in the country right now. Yeah. So when you talk about the recommendations, so those are to the federal government, but isn't a lot of the housing state-based? Yeah. So we have recommendations to the federal and state government. Are you based in Victoria? Do you have other branches around Australia in other states? We currently only have local branches in Melbourne, but we do have interstate members who are a part of the general membership. So we have got active members in South Australia, New South Wales. There's another tenancy union in Queensland, which we work with. But yeah, we have active members in New South Wales and South Australia as well. Yeah. But it would make it more complicated, I guess, because each state would have their own legislation and policy around housing. Yeah, that is part of the issue with tenancy law as well, is that it varies so much from state to state. So at the moment, our renters' rights support team is based in Melbourne, so it can be like a fair bit of work and research for them if they need to provide advice for people interstate. So ideally you want people from other states to build their own branches according to their own needs and then they get support from the general membership, which at the moment is mostly in Victoria, yeah. Yeah. So how's the organising been going? It's been going really good. So at the end of last year, had to rethink our strategy and everything because it is, as people are saying, post-COVID, which it isn't, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. But when we're in the midst of lockdowns, it was very much essential for people to be organising for this stuff because it was very crazy. And so the pandemic gave us a lot of momentum. But this year, we sort of had to strategize more about holding real estate agents accountable. So we ran a campaign prior to the Victorian state election called The Rent is Too High. So we staged quite a few actions out the front of really notorious real estates, the real estates that a lot of our members consistently have issues with. Yeah. So we went and picked it out the front of some real estate agencies. We had a large rally at state parliament and yeah, just trying to lobby the government a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. What kind of responses do you get? So our secretary and some members of the support team set up some meetings over the last couple of months with Consumer Affairs Victoria and also the housing minister. So we're trying to engage with them a bit more and present our recommendations. And so that's taking place in the form of formal meetings at the moment. Yeah. 
do you get confusion which sometimes I think is on purpose about Mm. public housing social housing like all the language that they use and the narratives around it yeah Um, so we are very hard line on using the language public housing social and community housing are very much government public relations buzzwords yeah okay that they use to basically conceal the fact that what is actually happening is that public housing owned by the state is being sold off to private developers to make new expensive developments and ultimately social and community housing is not as affordable for the tenant as state public housing would be and it also creates a whole lot of bureaucracy with getting much needed public housing built. It hasn't been properly expanded since the 80s. Victoria Labor has come out with a policy that they'll be increasing the funding for public housing but it's still under the guise of social housing and and the returns on those investments go into the private board of developers and landlords essentially. So any returns that are made on public housing investment don't go back directly to the state to make more public housing it goes to this separate board basically so the whole plan is that returns on investments for public housing will be managed by landlords and developers which is not what we want at all no but why is this not being made more of because the rental situation is just Mm. so dire when when do you think it's going to come to a head i don't know it's really hard to say because people are getting desperate it is definitely desperate and you know there's only so much that lobbying to the state and federal government can do because most MPs and parliamentarians own three or more properties. Oh, yes. So if a bit of conflict of interest it, there. Exactly. If you look at it that way, these people that are making the legislation, it's not in their best interest to change the culture from the housing market being for investment and for the economy rather than being for people to live in. Yeah. As is like a basic human right. So I think we're in a very neoliberal time, yeah. <laughs> obviously, and especially after the pandemic, interest rates increasing, there's a lot of talk about being in a recession and just the way that our economy is run depends on investments in the private housing market, which is dangerous, essentially. It's it's not a good situation for people who have to rent because it's basically a culture of haves and have-nots and renters are the have-nots, so therefore we get barely any rights. <laughs> yeah. Have you got some stories of what people are going through at the moment? We've got a lot of union members dealing with mould. Mould oh is gosh. one that that is never repaired because it's really difficult. We have a case study here. We have a roof that needs to be entirely replaced, reported it six years ago when it broke through the plaster and leaked through the wall. Multiple tradespeople said the roof needs to be replaced. Mm. The plaster was only fixed this year after six years of knowing about it and having reported it. Have since been dealing with black mould on exterior walls as well as inside the house. Real estate landlords have come back to them and said that it's because they have their furniture against the walls and they don't have their windows open. Wow. So that's the kind of responses that renters get yeah. from real estate and landlords. And mould than... is, is such a dangerous thing. It can make you really sick. Exactly. This person, this case study is written here, our health is deteriorating and my kids have to miss not just days of school but weeks. I personally have been in this situation and had basically a permanent bacterial chest infection 
from the black mold in my house. I had the same situation as this person leaking roof. I breached the real estate, took it to VCAT. They sent around one of their contractors that spent about half an hour there and didn't fix the roof at all. And that was that. So (laughs) yeah. Yeah, there was improvement in the Victorian legislation in the Tenancies Act. So there were changes to pet ownership, if you want to put some hooks in your walls to hang pictures up, like that kind of thing. The practice of, say, when you're looking for a rental and bidding, saying to the real estate, we'll pay extra than what you're asking for. That's now not allowed. I don't really know (laughs) what it's like on the ground whether that is still a thing that happens and slips through the cracks but I can't I can't say for sure yeah. so that things that they change but still we only have consumer affairs Victoria to lodge complaints which deals with all the other consumer affairs that exist so yes. there's really long waiting lists if you need to go to VCAT you know especially with rent increases no one ever has been to VCAT and overthrown a rent increase Wow. Yeah. And so it's very much very biased towards the uh, owners. You're listening to Stick Together, worker stories and union news, broadcast around the country every week on the Community Radio Network. What about the people looking for rentals? Are there members that don't have housing? I have spoken to a few members over the course of the last year who are staying in caravans Mm. on other people's properties with no amenities, you know, like no electricity, running water. We have a lot of people applying for rentals, applying for so many houses and it takes like three to six months to be able to get somewhere. And in that time, someone can become homeless. You know, if someone's been told to vacate from their rental and they have six weeks notice or whatever it is, if you can't find a house in that time, then you're homeless. You know, there's lots of women and families and children living in cars and tents and yeah, caravans. Yeah. They're saying that there's a shortage in the private rental market, that there's yeah. a stock shortage, but considering the last census data that was released said that there was over a million empty dwellings wow. in this country. So to say that there is a, a shortage of housing yeah. is absolutely absurd. There's an over representation of investors who leave yeah. these properties empty and there's no real legislation at the moment about taxing these empty houses the narrative at the moment property investors are saying that it is cheaper for them or more economically efficient to not have tenants in the house because they reckon that tenants wreck the place which is just absolutely ridiculous I don't know how a property can be maintained if no one's living in it yeah you know vermin moves in weeds grow like (laughs) I don't know so we need urgent tax reform that's like another demand we have to the federal government introduce a vacant land tax to tax Mm. these empties and to encourage investors to rent out these properties to people who need homes yeah a lot of these empty places are probably 
apartments in the city and in Docklands and yes, um, those yeah. areas. No, and those people don't want to rent to low-income exactly. renters. Yep, precisely. And we're living in a time where property development is absolutely rampant. And a lot of those places are just built solely for investments. So they're yeah. kind of just like... You know, those apartments that are going up all over the place, they're kind of just separate little little money boxes for people to invest in. Yes, they were never intended to be lived in almost. Exactly. And yeah. Yeah, a lot of these new builds are, are really poor quality as yes. well. Like yeah. they'll start to crack and leak within six months. Yeah. So you have these greedy developers building subpar housing, like de- demolishing public housing and replacing it with lesser quality dwellings. And mm. renting them out for a higher cost. Yeah. Or not renting them out. <laughs> or not renting yeah. them out, letting them sit empty. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So how do yeah. people even navigate this? Try to advocate yeah. for yourself. There are huge systemic issues when yeah. it comes to housing in this country. Accessing the legislation and knowing what your rights are is really difficult, especially for people yeah. who are migrants or live with disability. Yep. So we're building power as a union and our aim is to provide individuals with what they need in order to fight their fight because we're all very atomized as renters. We're all renting from separate real estate agents and yeah. we've got our separate issues and we have to fight for them fulfilling the contracts that we've signed with them personally. Mm. So the union really wants to just support people as best we can so that you don't feel so alone like it's, it just feels hopeless if you're doing it on your own yeah and for me personally before I joined Rahu there was a lot that I didn't know and there was a lot of stuff done to me which was downright illegal yeah. and I had no idea you know and so I think hopefully we're building a bit of a movement as individual renters we have barely any power against these people who are dictating the terms of our existence and so Mm. as a union we hope that we can share this information and support one another so that we can fight back more effectively yeah the language barriers must be so yeah adding extra layers to the whole yeah because the complexity for anyone reading the tenancy action the legislation it it can be really vague and confusing Yeah. yeah so those systemic issues take a lot of organizing we are holding some information nights we got some funding from mary beck council so the renters and housing union north branch in melbourne is putting on a bunch of information nights so even if you're not a union member and you're in that part of the community you can attend an information evening and have some discussions pick up some flyers and yeah great so how can people find out how to join or how to yeah come to one of your info sessions? Usually the best way is to follow our social media. So we've got Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. So we're the Renters Housing Union Vic on those platforms. And, yeah, if, if you're a member or you want to sign up, you'll get some emails as well yeah. with all those kind of notifications. Yeah. So does it cost to sign up? So it's monthly dues to join the union. Um, Standard dues are $10 a month. And then we have $1 a month for visa holders, um, unemployed people, people on DSP and First Nations people don't pay. Yeah. Great. And I saw also that you're paying the rent. So can you tell me why that is an important part of what you do and 
Why have you decided to do that? Rahu is very firm on the fact that the housing struggles that exist currently and have existed for however long are rooted in colonialism and the genocide of the first peoples that were here. And so in that sense, our organising and all organising really needs to be centred around decolonisation. And so our, our work will always be in solidarity with First Nations people who are the first ones to be displaced really. And so we pay donation every quarter, so every three months to pay the rent. Great. Jews are really important because unionism is based on all of us working together to achieve our, our common goal. We don't want to be a service. It's very much about collective organising yeah. and every single member's contribution is valued equally. You know, we're a rank-and-file union, so... The Jews pay for renting spaces and we've started a repairs fund as well so we can help people with their repairs if their landlord and real estate are not responsive. So what other areas of Melbourne do you have branches in? You said you've got a Yeah, so the North Branch very active. There's a a CBD which sort of covers like South Yarra. We have a West Branch as well. We're trying to set up branches in the southeast Mm but they're not really existing yet. So, yeah, we've we've only got branches in Melbourne at the moment, hoping to sort of take it more nationally in the coming years, for sure. What about regional? I'm up in regional Victoria and, then, yeah. yeah, things are really intent in regional it's areas too. Definitely. We have a lot of members in regional Victoria. And unfortunately, because everyone's so far apart, it's really hard kind of difficult to organize branches in regional Mm. areas but I think a lot of us organizers in Melbourne would really like to get out to these regional areas and maybe run some info sessions and yeah Yeah. we haven't forgotten about the regional areas. So do you work in with the broader union movement do you connect with other unions? Yeah we've got a good relationship with the health and community services union we attended their delegates conference about a month ago Yeah, so we've teamed up with them to do some cross-organising. There are others. Working with the labour unions is very much in our long-term strategy because ultimately what we would like is to get labour unionists who are also renters to dual card. Basically, if you're signing up to a labour union and you're a renter, you are automatically signing up to Rahu. Mm. So that's a long-term goal, yeah. So let's join together if you're not already yeah. a member of Rahu. Yes, yeah, so you're having any problems or or you're not, join the union. So our website is rahu, rahu.org.au, Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Uh, you can also email organise at rahu.org.au. Yeah. Great. Thank you so much for talking with us, Thanks. Elise. Yeah. That's it for Stick Together this week. Thanks for listening and thanks to Elise for speaking with us. Stick Together is produced at 3CR Studios in Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. The podcast is available at 3cr.org.au and you can contact the producers of the show at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com or by calling 0394198377 and leaving us a message. Remember, wherever you are, Whatever you do, there's a union for you. I'm Rebecca Mays. Catch you next time.